Welcome to the Intersecting Us podcast, where math and life intersect. In today's podcast, Dave and Brian continue their discussion with Charlie and Parabel about philosophy and math. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into uh, our last podcast. We talked, got to know you guys a little bit. Um, now we're going to talk a little bit deeper about one of the one of the subjects that came up us was making decisions like Probably you made a decision to go from India to Wisconsin. And uh, Charlie, you made a decision to go from uh, maybe more of a traditional insurance-based actuarial career to, to something, a, a new venture. Dave, you did the same. I did a lot of weird things and a lot of different decisions we can get into, but maybe some other podcasts. But uh, but one of the things, we ended this in the last podcast, was that, Charlie, you were talking about the different ways to use very similar decision-making processes in different disciplines that were similar, uh, but were different. I'd like to get into a little bit how you guys make decisions and whether you see whether you see uh, uh, that go across all things. I'm talking about just life decisions. Charlie, you're married, right? I am. So you made a decision, or mm-hmm. she did, or you both did. <laughs> But how do you make those? I mean, does that, are those, you know, we, we, the big, it's not the elephant in the room. It's just something you always talk about. How much of our decision making is really deterministic in the sense that it comes from our environment or our makeup and how much of it is coming from our own freedom just to make choices in the moment? Because you think about it, you guys all heard the butterfly effect, right? You know, one butterfly flaps its wing and we'll go in New Delhi. It could make things change something in Dennis and Iowa um, over time. When you look back on your life, you've made decisions that completely changed the course of your life. And you hope it was for the better. And the chances of the probability that you would be where you are right now is very, very small. If you started 20 years ago in your life, uh, of all the op- uh, probabilities. So uh, maybe we could, uh, while we start with probable here, and then I will get to Charlie uh, quick after. Um, what when you make decisions, you made a decision. And you don't have to use this when you don't, but I think it'd be a good one to try. When you made a decision to go literally halfway across the world, what what did you use to make those decisions? Or I mean, or was it just random? Or how how, how did you come to those conclusions? All right. Um, well, that is an interesting uh, topic of conversation. But uh, the the reason, I mean, the way I came to the U.S. is 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 kind of. I mean, there's so many things that happened for it to happen in the first place. So essentially, I've always played soccer my entire life. And uh, during my sophomore year of high school, so for me, grade 10, I don't want to say sophomore year. I mean, for people listening in the U.S., sophomore year of high school, I got my big break and I started playing. I started getting recognized a lot more and I started playing for my, my district and then my state. And I played national. So I, I represented my state in the under 17 tournament. And, you know, that was the, like the first ever time I actually got to play football in a very competitive environment or soccer. I'm going to say football because um, I don't know how to say soccer. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to bear with me. I don't know. We'll I don't do want to say math, soccer. As they say. All right. Yeah. Um, so I started getting recognized a lot more. And, you know, uh, people and my mom and my family, everybody was telling me, you know what, maybe you can make a career playing football. And essentially my plan was to go to Germany to, to, you know, join some sort of small academy or something and play. My mom got sick though in, in, when I was in my junior year of high school. And, you know, I, you know, I thought maybe it's best I don't travel anywhere right now, you know, just take uh-huh. care of her. Me and my brothers are, you know, going to have to be there at some point right now. 
So that, that, that plan got squashed. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe India still has a little bit more to offer. And I tried to, I, I decided to play in India itself, but I tore my ACL playing, uh, football and I was out for seven months. So for my entire junior year of high school, I, I, I didn't get to play anything. And then when I was starting to get better and when, you know, I, I realized that hey, I didn't really lose anything. I just lost a year after I did all my rehab, which was like three hours a day for the, like, for the next seven months after the operation, I was kind of back to my old self. I was a lot fitter. I just needed to get a little bit more technical and yeah. I was, you know, better than I was before. And I was like, okay, this is, I can, I can still do something. And then COVID came yeah. and um, to go to, to go to Germany, you have to give these exams, um, you know, language exams to show that you can, you know, if you're given a situation where you have to converse in German, you could okay. do it. And I was learning German, um, you know, uh, while playing football as well. Um, but every time I tried to schedule an exam, it just never happened. There was such, such, such a big backlog because of COVID. And I took a gap year playing football because, uh, and then, so essentially me and my brother both thought of just applying to the U.S. just, just on a whim. And I got into this, into this college in Ohio, but it was for the spring of 2022. And I graduated in July of 2021. And for those six months, five months. I, I didn't know what to do. And my mom's like, you're not sitting at home. Um, I'm not going to let you sit at home and do nothing. So I thought, you know what? I still have a little bit of time. I can just enjoy playing football over here. And little did I know, I was still pretty young. So I was like 18 at the time. And a lot of, I, I started getting recognized again uh, for playing football. And apparently the senior team uh, picked me. They, they kind of recognized me and they picked me in their team. Cause they needed three under 21 players and I was one of them and, uh, things went on and on. And, uh, I started playing really well. I started performing really well. Uh, we qualified for the first round. I mean, for the second round of this senior men's trophies, it's called the Santos trophy. And it's one of the most competitive, uh, competitions for football in, in India. And we qualified for the second round after 37 years and, I don't want to brag, but I was the one who scored the goal and got oh, mad wow. the match for that, but for the go game for that got yeah. us there. And, uh, you know, and I was like, okay, fine. This is it. It, it that the, the, the tournament finished in, in like early December. I was like, okay, this is it. Now, now it's time for me to go to the U S or, you know, whatever. Cause I didn't really have any, what I didn't have a plan on what I wanted to do yet. Uh, and my brother already came to the U S a year before, I mean, um, uh, in September of, of 2021. And, but my team, the coaches and everybody said, you know what? You should stay a little longer. We have the next round and there's a lot more to do. And I said, okay, fine. So I kind of, uh, you know, rescinded my application from Denison and I decided to play football in India and it was going really well. And I thought to myself that, you know, maybe I just study in India, play a little bit more football. And my entire family was so supportive of it. They're like, you don't have to go to college if you don't want to, okay. you know, you can just play football for now. And, uh, you know, if, if worst comes to worst and things don't work out, we can start a business or start something. And, you know, you can just do that instead. And that support was everything that I needed. So I, you know, I just continued playing. And then around July, no, June of 2022, I already applied to a few colleges in the U S just, just for, just cause my mom told me to. And I thought to myself, you know, I'd study in India, but because my, my brother was already here, my mom's like, you know what, you, you should also go and study. Football at that time in India still right now, I feel like if if the same situation was present maybe 10 years down the line, I might have stayed in India 
because there would be a lot more facilities, a lot more things for you to, you know, develop as a player. But as of such, there wasn't a lot that we could do. There wasn't a lot of funding in, in, in football. So it became very difficult because a, I was, I was playing six hours a day, every day. The facilities, we, we had to wash our own clothes um, oh, wow. and then and then wear them again. We had to eat the same food. It was it gets really hot in India and we didn't have AC. So yeah. you'd have to sleep in your own sweat. So it, it just got very taxing as well. And my mom said, you know what, just go to, go to the US. And uh, I reluctantly said yes. And so here I am. But I, I feel like looking back, I think that was one of the best decisions I made because Everything that happened and that led me to to come to the U.S. kind of lined up perfectly because that gap year that I did take, it kind of set me up and, you know, taught me a lot of different things that I feel like if I just went to college directly would not have taught me about life in general, about hardship. Because, I mean, if you're playing six hours a day, eating okay-ish food, not getting the right source of protein or even the right kind of diet, and then, you know, you have to wash your own clothes, sleep in your own sweat, and just continue to do that for like a year, you know, you, you learn a, a thing or two about uh, how hard life is going to be or how hard things sh- are going to be. And uh, it kind of set me up. So when I came here, even if I was halfway across the world, it didn't really feel too challenging because I, I feel like I just adapted because I was just like, right, this is just another Tuesday. I don't really have, you know, I've done all this other stuff before in my, in that year that I took off. And, uh, you know, those specific things that led me to here is, is, is how I got here. And, I don't think I'd have changed a single thing. Maybe I, if I performed a little bit well, things might have gone a different way in the next round. But yeah, that that's exactly how I got here. And then that's a good story. And I think, you know, uh, to, to Charlie, you know, you think not that we want to use probable as a case study, but, but you know, how he came up with his decisions kind of got thrust upon you in, in some ways, probably. And then maybe with Charlie, I mean, you can talk about a little bit about yours, but also about how, how the decision-making process works and, and how do you see it? Do you see in your life, you know, that most stuff was kind of determined or do you have free will or, you know, kind of a psychological or, or excuse me, a, a philosophical question, but Hey, let's get into that. Okay. So if I understand your question, are you, you're asking about my experience in decision-making right? versus yeah. my existential belief about free will. I think I would start with A and then go to B there. I mean, what is your experience okay. and then what would be your, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure which decision in my life I should start with and try to explain, but maybe experientially, I feel that I have a lot of self-control and that it's, again, I'm speaking experientially, that it's variable. Okay. And um, it can be practice the idea of willpower or maybe to, to go Freudian, uh, the ability to utilize your intellect to overcome natural impulses or, or you know, predispositions, right? Uh, maybe right. to use Prabal as our case study. It probably didn't feel good a lot of the time to practice six hours a day, <laughs> but he was, if I were to ask him, are you choosing to continue? He's yeah, I, I chose every day. To I chose to get up again the next day. I chose not to, to quit, right? Those are choices. And I experienced those, those myself. And in fact, even deeper kind of philosophically, I think adopting a mindset where you try to take as much responsibility for outcomes as you possibly can. Right. As much, you know, anything that happens that I, you know, deem not great, whether it's 
how my daughter handled a conversation I had with her this morning and she was unhappy at the end of that conversation. I always think about what could I personally have done differently in that situation. Right. Right. I try to take as much responsibility so that in the future, when I go to make decisions, maybe there's things that I've realized that I didn't have before that can improve my decision making. And then to that variable willpower, how do I, what, what regular practices do I have in my life? where it increases that resilience and self-control. Yeah. You know, the, the Stoic philosophers say, you know, you, you want to put your, your body through hardship so that when your body wants to quit, you know, it, it's a reminder that your brain is actually what's in charge, that you have decision-making power over whatever's going on externally to you. Now, after saying all that, philosophically, I don't think free will can objectively exist. Like if we were to write a mathematical proof for it, you know, I think there are several ways we could go about a very Archimedean way of approximating or estimating the, the truth of that statement, where obviously, maybe not obviously, but as of right now, uh, there's no definitive scientific mathematical statement that, that says for sure that free will does and does not exist. Well, and I think when you use the term free will, I mean, we, we kind of all know what that means. I think it's not like that deep, but when it really comes down to, you know, a, a subjective control, the idea that we in our lives, you were talking about your, you know, how can I take responsibility? And, and it, so it's really our personal control. And so you, you talk at about it at different levels is, is, you know, is there a, you know, a deterministic cause or causes in the whole universe that started at the Big Bang that goes all the way down to the very cells in our body and our brains and all that? But when you're looking at your own free will, it really comes down to how much control do I have? Um, and am I making a free choice? And then you really get into some deep definitional things there, whether or not, uh, well, what do you mean by free? Um, you know, it, it, because at some level, you know, a person who, you know, all of us, I assume, I'll assume this, but uh, if we all walked somewhere and saw, you know, $50, $50 laying on the ground, and, and but we saw the person just dropped it, probably all of us would pick it up and give it to them and say, well, you dropped this. Well, that was a free choice, but it was possibly because we have some sort of maybe moral ethic about it. And we know that, if, hey, if I did that, I'd want them person to make it more money if you want, whatever. <laughs> probably maybe it changes if the money gets more, but we're making a free choice. And I think the idea of, of strict determinism is that none of those choices are actually free, but they're determined by our environment and then our physiology is, is that the way you understand it, Charles? Yeah, I, I would say that maybe to, to use a, a philosophical term, I'm incompatibilist. I don't believe that the universe can be both deterministic and that you can also have free will. I think that if those axiomatically, those two things cannot both be true simultaneously. And if you, so how would you answer the question? So could you have a deterministic unit in a determined physical universe? You know, we're looking at the physical, you know, big bang on, but yet within that, and I think we even have that in science to some extent, maybe with quantum theory, quantum mechanics, when you're looking at probabilities, not, you know, outcomes could be 50, 50 on some of these things. And we don't know which one could there be within the system, maybe not physical, but, lack of a better term, non-physical, I guess, uh, ways when we make, we make free choices within a system that has some determining qualities to it. Like, could, could they coexist? 
Um, so to, to go to the quantum uncertainty, from all of our scientific understanding of quantum uncertainty, it appears to be random. So even if the explanation for non-deterministic universe is quantum uncertainty, that still, I don't think, can be used as a justification for, like, in, intent. Like, can right. you make I agree. quantum yeah. particles manifest themselves in yeah. one location versus another through intent? Like, we've never seen any way to manifest the probabilistic appearance of quantum particles. So I am comfortable with the idea that it is possible our universe is non-deterministic because of quantum mechanics. But I still don't see that non-determinism as a way to justify free will. And maybe to put it more like physically, right? Like pretty much everything we do comes from our brains. There are neurons in the rest of our body that can act without interchanging with the brain. But it, it happens in the brain, right? We, we know that's where our, our personalities and our feelings and our thoughts, we can measure the activities as we think about and reason, you know, where those neurons are firing. And there is no neuron that I see fire that is not acted upon by a neuron next to it or by a chemical released in the area. Yeah. And I, I think that from a physical standpoint, I, I know, Dave, you use and I don't correct you all the time because I don't want to be annoying every time. But but when you'll say, you know, I want to pick your brain and technically I, I, I think you should pick my mind because if you pick my brain, that would hurt. You know, so <laughs> it's the you know, because it's the idea you're picking the ideas you're, you're trying to, to. And that's that is a the, the you know, when you get into the mind body dualism idea and it is it is the mind and, and the brain. Uh, are they the same or are they different? I would be one that would say that it seems clear to me. And again, you always want to talk about this because it's, we know that even in, in actual size, because something seems clear to me doesn't mean it's clear to everybody. <laughs> you know, so it's just my own personal way. But the mind, you know, I think of things in my mind, certain images come, but they're not, they're not physical. Uh, they're certainly there. They're real. I can see them, but you will, you can't see them. They're first person private. Um, but they're real. I mean, I really see whatever it is I'm looking at. And I think that's where it comes down to uh, really whether you're going strict determinism versus the possibility of free will is really what we would call, I think, the way I, the technical term is more of a theological term is agent causation. Are there true free agents, you know, persons, we might use the term. And and, and uh, um, Dave, you maybe remember this, or probably either one. We we talked about sapience versus sentience. Do you remember that way back? And those are goofy words, but and we tend to use them wrongly. But you know, sentient just means you're aware of things and you can have make decisions, uh, but they're based on causal properties. Like a you know, we just had some geese fly over going south, and I'm glad they are because it's like ten here today. But the, but sapience has to do with, that's homo sapiens has to do with something deeper. It's, it's, it's first person awareness. I'm aware that I'm doing something. And that's when the free will stuff gets kind of cool, in my opinion, the philosophical part of it, because now I'm making causal decisions and it's just within myself because I know who I am and I know, you know, or you know, some of what you are. And that's where the decision, a lot of times in philosophical discussions, we don't get to, we're in the big picture. And I think sometimes it's better to, to look at the, well, let me ask you, all, all three of you, and you can start with uh, Charlie if you want. 
do you operate in your life like you have free will? Yeah, I think I, I answered that. Yeah, obviously. To, obviously, yeah. I, mean, I, that's, op- I operate in the extreme. Yeah. I <laughs> assume that I, that in this, you know, you know, it's funny you point out the butterfly example, right? We acknowledge that, that a butterfly's wings in one place, we live in a chaotic enough system that it could affect something extreme somewhere else. And so I try to internalize that my behavior in any given moment has that same effect, right? Okay. That, and it's not, and I don't do that to like in, inflate my ego, like I am so influential, but just to factually remind myself that there are moments in any given day that have long-standing, con- you know, if, if it is a giant cause of determinism, right? you know, it keeps going. It's going to keep going. It's that it doesn't end in the moment that it happens. And so going back to, to, to the brain, cause I think about this a lot, right? Like how, how would my self-awareness of a lack of free will propagate? Yeah. And so I, I, you know, one of, I study three things because of it. I study like physics, like how does the world work? I study evolutionary history, what makes humans humans. And I study neuroscience, our brain, like how does our, and I try to think about like, okay, if I can understand the structures in my brain and the decision-making process that humans have, how best can I structure the way that I view the world and myself such that the areas of, of my brain that enhance my future ability to be happy, provide for my offspring and my children and my families are the most capable that they can be. And, you know, I think about that prefrontal cortex, right? That's the thing that makes us different. That's where our, are, when you talk about that, the sentience, right? That's where the sentience, where neurologically, where sentience appears to come from. It's from this thick, you know, and the more we can wire the rest of our brains through that front part, the more self-aware we become, the more will we appear to have that we feel we have over all the stuff in the back that came first, our emotions, our judgments, our impulses. So I think about myself as having the most free will because I try to route as much of that natural phenomenon through my prefrontal cortex. So I have more awareness of what's going on inside my brain and my body is I would describe it as the physical manifestation of emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I like the way you put that. That's the problem. What about you? How do you, I mean, I don't know if you've thought this thing that deeply. I mean, you know, just listening to the conversation, a few things obviously shot up in my, in my head as well. I think I go with Charlie with this one when I, where, where I try to understand that I have a choice in every step of the way that I, of, of everything that I do. And you know, having free will also means that you're accountable for everything that you do and everything yes. that happens is because of what you did in that specific situation. And I mean, one of the things that I feel like maybe I don't agree with, or I'd say I have a different kind of idea about is, you know, how Charlie just mentioned that if, if you have a, you know, strict determinism, then, you know, the, the, the thought of free will is kind of lost in that, um, you know, if things are already determined, then, you know, you don't really have free will. But I think my, my way of thinking is, is that, and he also mentioned it is the choice you make now, again, the butterfly effect, it affects, you know, something determined, it determines something way, way, way away where you don't, you don't, you won't even realize that, okay, that, the reason that happened is because in this moment I acted a certain way, but at the same time, I feel like they can, in my opinion, exist together at the same time, because at every step of the way you have a choice 
if if you make one choice, maybe the the, the branch that has this specific outcome does not occur. But then, then again, when you come come to another point of time, you again have a choice, and you consistently have a lot of choices, and you make a lot of choices. It's not that one choice affects everything that happens in the future. It's it's these small choices that you make in every single moment that affects something that happens in the future. Right. Like yeah. right now I could just leave the podcast and that would obviously leave a bad impression on all of you. Would my relation with you relationship with you be good after that? Maybe not, but if it would, would there be something or would there be a reason? So if I logged out now and I said, Oh, something happened. And then it was a very reasonable ex- explanation. Maybe I could mend your ways. But at the same time, I could be lying at, I could be lying then. Now, if I don't leave the podcast and we have a really nice, amazing conversation, maybe a different sort of relationship is built. So at the same time where obviously there is the decisions or the, the, the choices you make now affect what happens in the future. I feel like that, that future technically doesn't exist and you consistently and constantly and what life, what life is about, at least for me, is that you consistently make the choices you feel are right in that moment. And that just leads to something. And then you respond to the, whatever outcome you're faced with at that specific point. So yes, determinism is, 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 is what happens when you make a choice and then you see its outcome. But I feel like at the same time, you have so many different chances to change the outcome with the choices you make right now. So you're almost saying that you don't see it necessarily as mutually exclusive, you know, that you can yes. somewhat of a deterministic system, for lack of a better term, um, or world, but yet still maybe free choices would be, uh, be real free choices as free as, you know, whether it's compatibilistic freedom or libertarian, but, but f- freedom enough that you're making a choice that you're, it doesn't look determined to you. And I think that's where we all kind of are when we, we think of that, because when you think of, again, None of us, I, I think I speak for most people, none of us wants to be determined because then we don't have, you know, it has no control and I don't want that. But just because I don't want something doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, then that's, uh, and I know we can talk about this on and on. I don't know, Dave, do you have any thoughts about that? I'm I sure do. you do. Actually, I'm going to exercise my free choice and transition to our last topic. Okay. Yeah, Dave, can I, before we do that, can I make one more yes, yes. comment? Because it was something you that Provol and Ryan made. That. And I want to reference back to something we talked about earlier. You know, I'd love to get to the math about who does free will, but that's. Oh, yeah. I, I think we're at a, an interesting We're going to get another podcast that, out of this, you know, not yeah. maybe today, but yeah, yeah. An interesting one is that, uh, like, even if it is deterministic, experientially, it's not. Right. We don't know what's determined. And we talked about this earlier about, like, making decisions under uncertainty. Right. We are all faced with that, having to make decisions, not knowing what the future is going to be. And so even if it is deterministic, that truth has no bearing on how we make our decisions. We have to make decisions as if we have freedom to determine what the future is because we don't. So I just thought that was also an interesting callback to something we talked about earlier. Yeah, that's 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 very good because you you have to. You you still have to make the decision. And really, it's another thing we could talk about is we don't have the knowledge of the future. Uh, probably you talked about that. So did you. The idea of we just we may be sapient beings, but we just don't have that ability. It's not part of our nature to know the future. We can we can guess and we can be really good at knowing the future as actuaries by the contingencies and the risks of the data and running those through good, good models. But we, we, we can't we, we're not determining it. We're just predicting it. Go ahead, Dave. Well, sure. So I'm going to uh, transition to uh, the 
one of the guys who is considered the uh, father of modern philosophy, and his name is uh, De- Descartes. And uh, but I'm I'm not going to pick his philosophy brain. I'm going to pick his math brain because he's also a mathematician. And he kind of dueled with another guy named Fermat. And those guys were really right before calculus kicked off. And uh, I know that Charlie, you and I are in a book club, and we've been talking a lot about the history of math and uh, the history of these two guys came up. And you and I have been talking a little bit about it. And one thing I know you had as a takeaway from one of our discussions was uh, from their, I guess, duel that they had to try to bring calculus into the world, uh, how to excel at doing difficult things, and yet they made it seem relatively effortless. And I, I would say that probably applies more for Fermat than Descartes. But I know that that concept of doing hard things is a passion for you. And so this, I think, struck a chord. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. The the thing that really stood out, I mean, for those who have not had a detailed history of Fermat or Descartes, I'll try to do try to do both of these, uh, you know, incredible uh, humans justice in like 10 seconds. So Descartes was born into a relatively wealthy family where he was free to study and explore as he saw fit and interested. And through this freedom and privilege, he did a lot for the world of mathematics and philosophy and was in very um, sought prestige in that process, very driven by, by the known. And to juxtapose that with Fermat, Fermat was an attorney and a family person who uh, worked his job and came home and had an interest in mathematics of which he spent his leisurely time exploring and learning for fun. Um, so that's kind of the background of these two. And the clash that happened is, you know, again, mathematical background. At the time, this is when the mathematical worlds of the East and in the Middle East and in Western Europe were, were coming together. And we were seeing, you know, right after the printing press or this explosion of knowledge and wealth of ideas, these two guys were exploring mathematics in similar realms. And Fermat had come up with this plane, this graphical way of charting functions from, from algebra that came from the East and in the Middle East. And he didn't really do it for any reason other than he found it interesting. And he sent it to some friends because he wanted someone to converse with about it. And, you know, 10 years later, Descartes came up with a similar plane, the Cartesian plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he was informed that someone claimed to have found it 10 years, 10 years earlier, Descartes very much was displeased with the idea that someone would claim his discovery. <laughs> and they launched into this lifelong uh, battle of, of credit where Descartes very very much wanted the credit for this. And thus it's called the Cartesian plane. Okay. That was a long background. My, my point, the thing I found so fascinating about the story was that Fermat was regular. He's so relatable. I mean, that is that lifestyle of having a family, spending your time at home and working in job. Like that's very relatable to most of us. Mm-hmm. And yet he was able to make profound advances in mathematics. And what it really says to me is that, Two things. One, the ability to focus on a few important things 
can allow you to have really outsized impacts in your life. And the second thing is just the value of grit. It's, it's just persistence. You know, we talked about, you know, at the beginning, you know, I don't know if it's an earlier podcast or earlier section in this one with, with Prabal about that being able to, to persist through things that are difficult. And Fermat just continued to persist and work at mathematics for his entire life. So he spent his free time doing a few things. And one of them was mathematics on a daily basis. And then he did it for really long periods of time. And despite that it wasn't his vocation and he wasn't being paid for it, he wasn't seeking glory. He was able to, to realize these ideas that other people spent their entire careers and life, um, kind of their life's worth pursuing. Was that a good summary? It was. Yeah. Okay. And just to piggyback off that, one of the things I really appreciate about Fermat was that, uh, most of us are familiar with the Pythagorean theorem of a squared plus b squared equals c squared for a right triangle where c is the hypotenuse. Fermat had this interesting question. He said, okay, uh, we have that relationship when the exponent is two, uh, you know, a squared, a to the power two plus b to the power two equals c to the power two. Can we have that relationship for larger values for the exponent where the exponents are integers? So like three. So can we have a cubed plus b cubed equals c cubed? Now we can if we allow a, b, and c to be a real number. But if we limit it to where a, b, and c are also positive integers, well, then the answer was not quite as obvious. Now, that question came up and he posed it. And it wasn't like this was like a uh, an amazingly important question at the time. But it was actually a very natural question because the Pythagorean theorem was so huge. And this was just that next step to the Pythagorean theorem that no one had really thought about. So he did do those things that you talked about, Charlie. He he was focused. He did hard things. But he also had an ability to ask questions that were fundamentally important in the world of math, even though at the time they seemed to be really irrelevant. Like maybe just something you'd see on a puzzle and the Sunday morning paper were, well, okay, I'll, I'll work on this, not because it's important, but just because it's something fun to do. And so he came up with this question and it became known as Fermat's last theorem. And it became the most talked about math problem in math up until the mid 1990s. And so Fermat lived around 1600. So we're talking about 400 years. And that means there's a lot of mathematicians that uh, looked at this. So this was not just like uh, something that no one cared about. The people like Euler and Gauss and all these people gave their hand at it, and they may have been able to make some progress on it, but no one, no one was able to answer the question completely. And so here's a guy who's you know really just a mathematician by night, a lawyer by day, had the ability to think of something extremely simple because this problem is something a teenager could understand. And yet he had the ability to form it into a question that captured the minds of mathematicians for centuries. And so that that is, I think, I don't know if, if he just got lucky, but he, he had other things where he uh, asked similar questions. So I don't think it was luck. I, I do think it was a skill that he had where he was asking seemingly random questions that turned out to be big topics in the world of math. And we know in a deterministic universe, there is no such thing as luck, right? 
<laughs> I was hoping you could wrap that up for me. <laughs> well, I don't know. All of you, I, I, I think for, for, for probable as you go into your exams with FM and all that, I wouldn't rely on luck. Uh, and, yeah. and Charlie, yeah, you either. I mean, you get that, it can be there, and I suppose that's good. But I'm a Bears fan, and we've had no luck. So uh, <laughs> it counts the wrong way. Seems like they play tonight if you want to watch it. But, um, but yeah, this has been fun. I think uh, we'll wrap it up for now. But um, we've got a lot of things we could talk about. Hopefully, we can get you guys to come back um, in the future and, and maybe do some more podcasts. And, and if you guys have some ideas, uh, you know, let us know if you're listening. Certainly, if you got ideas or something you want to talk about, uh, if you'd uh, like one of these guys or both come back on, let us know. Um, just remember, we're uh, just the Intersecting Us podcast. And I think we did a really good job of that day with our interviews here of uh, intersecting uh, both math and life. Thanks for being with us. been the Intersecting Us podcast. To further engage with Intersecting Us, go to intersectingus.com. Intersecting Us.